Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump Podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 478th episode of the History Ghost Bump Podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're heading to Iowa and we're going to check out the Mason House Inn. There's a lot of ghosts in this place, a lot of experiences. We're only going to share a small portion of them. Looking forward to it. Before we do that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Jillian with a J, Amy, Tamara, Whitney, and Karen. Thank you so much for joining our Facebook group. And now this moment, Naughty. So many people around the globe play video games. Recently, there was a Japanese gamer with about 1,000 subscribers on YouTube who had his credit card compromised by his betta fish. Without ever giving a thought to the consequences, this fiscally foolhardy fish used it without his owner's permission and created a security breach during a live stream gaming event. This particular gaming community actually used fish as the players. How do you ask? Well, the YouTuber devised a system that allowed their beta fish to play Pokemon games on a Nintendo Switch. The fish tank actually has sensors that act as buttons on the gaming device. The recordings of the beta tells the characters which way to move or how to make decisions. Prior gaming attempts were in Pokemon Sapphire where the fish in question beat the game and garnered 450,000 views. 
However, the security breach occurred during a game of Pokemon Violet during a live stream. After 1,000 hours of playtime, the game glitched and the Switch changed to its home screen. The beta just kept swimming, obviously, and in doing so, inadvertently opened up the Nintendo eShop, where the opulent opponent purchased $4 worth of points using his owner's credit card. Doing so exposed his owner's account information to the livestream audience. This feisty fishy was not done there. He also proceeded to download an app to play Nintendo 64 games, spent reward currency on a new avatar, asked for a confirmation email from PayPal, and changed the name of his owner's account to Ro-Wa-Wa-Wa-Wa-Wa. These days, we all need to be cautious to keep our credit cards safe and secure. However, one thing is for certain, a fish stealing financial information, sharing it, and then proceeding to go on a shopping spree certainly is odd. And now, this month in history. In the month of March, on the 10th in 1862, the first issue of U.S. government paper money occurred as $5, $10, and $20 bills began circulation. These were also known as greenbacks due to the green ink on the backside of the paper money. The government began the issuing of this paper money in the effort to help finance the Union cause during the American Civil War. At the end of the war, fiscal conservatives demanded that the government retire the greenbacks. This was opposed by farmers and others who desired to maintain the current higher prices. The Panic of 1873 and the following Depression polarized the nation. At that time, farmers demanded more greenbacks be issued or unlimited silver coins. In 1874, the Greenback Labor Party was formed, and after Congress passed the Resumption Act, the greenbacks were able to be redeemed in gold. The Greenback Labor Party made the repeal of the act its first goal. Eventually, a compromise was made that kept the Resumption Act, the expansion of paper money redeemable in gold, and enacted the Bland-Allison Act. This new act created a limited resumption of the coinage of silver dollars. By 1878, most people supported the expansion of currency and thought that the best chance of success was to move further towards the unlimited coinage of silver. The Mason House Inn is the oldest steamboat hotel on the Des Moines River in Bentonsport, Iowa. It has a history connected to the Mormon Trail, the Civil War, and the Underground Railroad. Today, it is run as a bed and breakfast rather than a hotel. There are several reasons for spirits to be hanging out here, and the owners embrace the hauntings, documenting dozens and dozens of experiences. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the Mason House Inn.
Bentonsport is a small village along the former Iowa Mormon Trail. The village was founded along the Des Moines River, and that made it an important port for steamships along the river. Charles Sanford was the first settler in the area, and he built a trading post here in 1836, and it was called Ross Settlement. The name was later changed to Benton's Port for Senator Thomas Hart Benton of Missouri, who'd been known as Old Bullion and was an architect of Manifest Destiny. On June 21, 1837, the Board of Supervisors of Van Buren County granted licenses to two men named Isaac Reed and Henry Smith. This gave them the right to run ferries across the river between North and South Benton's Port, and they would transport all kinds of things, from equipment to humans and every kind of animal, and even whole wagons with a team. Can you imagine you just throw the wagon on there with the team still hooked up? <laughs> just drive them on, just like a normal automobile ferry today. That's exactly what I was going to say. It reminded me of is you just pull on. I remember I went to one of the Outer Bank Islands there in North Carolina and just got right on there with the SUV and the trailer hooked right up. Just sat in the car and went across the expanse. Just no horses in tow. Yeah, no. Bentonsport flooded twice, once in 1851 and another time in 1903. The oldest wagon bridge of its type is located here and was built in 1883. Today, this is mostly a tourist area with several bed and breakfasts, and Mason House Inn is one of them. The Mason House Inn was originally named Ashland House and was opened as a hotel for travelers on the steamships in 1846. At the time, this was located next to the post office, just to the right of the river bridge overlooking the river. The hotel was built by Billy Robinson, who is a Latter-day Saint from Novu, Illinois, and was designed in the Georgian Federal architectural style and stands two and a half stories with 21 rooms. The top row of windows on the front entrance feature a large central window that is balanced by two quarter circle windows, making it unique. And those quarter circle windows are like the ones that everybody knows from the original Amityville house, the way it used to look with those windows. So when I looked at it, I'm like, oh, other than having the big central window between the two, it has that kind of look with those windows. <laughs> a tugboat struck it in 1851, but only caused slight damage, which we believe can still be seen today. Yeah, I think there's still a little bit of a crack on the outside of the hotel there. By 1857, a couple named Lewis and Nancy Mason owned the inn and they renamed it the Phoenix Hotel. But eventually the place just took on their name and it's been the Mason House ever since. During the Civil War, Iowa was Union and a safe haven for runaway slaves. The hotel soon found itself on the Underground Railroad as it was 10 miles from the Missouri state line and made a good first stop. The hayloft of a barn on the property was used as a hiding place, as was a tunnel in the back that was connected to a wood shed. Senator William Ernest Mason was the youngest son of Lewis and Nancy, and he wrote of this time when he was 10 in his autobiography. If I became interested in 1856 in politics, I was more so in 1860. William was 10 years old in 1860. <laughs> so this, this, wow. this guy, as a kid, was interested in politics. I used to listen to my father's talk about politics and go out to hear him and others speak on that subject. I cannot remember the year when we used to help the runaway slaves. I remember my first experience. I was sent out to the barn with a basket of bread and meat and told to take it up to the hayloft. I did so, and as I put the basket on the floor near the stairs, I saw two or more black curly heads stick out from the hay. And you can imagine my fright, and that it did not take long to get back to the house. <laughs> I was smart enough not to tell anyone, for if I told... The poor fellows would have been sent back to slavery. I learned afterwards that my father's house and barn was the first station on the Underground Railway, being about 10 miles from the Missouri line, and that the Negroes came in the night 
knew where to go, and were fed and slept and directed on to a Quaker settlement at Salem, as near as I now remember. My father was a great lover of law, and yet I wonder when I think of it, he helped escaping slaves, and in that way openly violated the law. It brought him into trouble with his church, but he was not expelled from the church, nor was he indicted, though both were threatened. I really find that sad that a church was going to throw him out. Yeah, that's terrible. I believe that the time will never come again in this country when a man will be justified in breaking the laws of his country. We will never have slaves again, and the laws must be written by the conscience of a Christian people and obeyed until repealed by that same power. The hotel not only was cover for escaped slaves, but it served as a short-term hospital as wounded soldiers awaited transport to a hospital in Keokuk. Many soldiers didn't last long enough to make the trip and died at the hotel. For a time in the 1940s, the hotel hosted the community library. The Mason family held on to the property for 99 years, passing it through family members, and then sold it to the Redhead family, who ran the hotel for 33 years. I wonder if they really were a bunch of redheads. (laughs) Well, as you just saw, it gave me pause because I thought it was a descriptive word, and I was wondering why it was capitalized. (laughs) I always laugh at myself because I'm like, here I am making fun of people's last names, and my last name is student. (laughs) Which to me has never seemed strange, but I know that you receive responses in regards to that all the time. So, During their tenure, they added the general store that is attached to the main house. In 1989, the McDermott's bought the inn, and in 2001, Chuck and Joy Hansen bought the place as the fifth owners of the house and the current ones, although the property has been up for sale for some time. There are many stipulations as to who they would be willing to sell to, and this includes keeping all the antique furniture with the house and continuing to run this as a bed and breakfast. Many of the antiques are original to the Mason family. The Hansons added the Caboose Cottage in 2006, which features the opportunity to overnight in a real rail car. They had to deal with a flood in 2008. They wrote of that experience, we had sandbags along the sidewalk in front of the inn and all the way down to in front of the caboose cottage. The water was about 18 inches up on the sandbags for about a week before it receded. Our neighbor to the east did not sandbag and we did not realize that our property is lower than his. When the water went into his yard, it seeped downhill into our yard and flooded the property around the caboose and in front of rooms two and three. Chuck had a large sump pump going day and night for a week to keep the water from reaching the main house pump took one gallon of gas at a time and would run for two hours on the tank full. Chuck and I slept in room one for the week so we could keep an eye on the water height. We set the alarm clock to ring every two hours so Chuck could get up and put gas in the pump tank. We called it feeding the baby. Good grief. How miserable, (laughs) Uh, but how necessary. Yeah. And if, I mean, it took two weeks of that water being there. Where was the neighbor? Yeah, I'd be like, (laughs) they should have come and help. (laughs) I guess next time they'll make sure he sandbags. We'd moved all the furniture out of room one except for the bed and out of the parlor except for the piano since these were the two rooms to flood first if the water would have come into the main house. But thanks to the sandbags and Chuck's diligence with the sump pump, the water never came into the main house first floor. The basement did get water into it because the sump pump down there burned out. We got about eight inches of water in there before we were able to get another one hooked up. And the great thing about the Hansons is that they are not only very happy to share the history of the hotel and area, but also to share ghost stories about the hotel and their own personal experiences. Nothing here is said to be malevolent, and much of the activity is very subtle. And, apparently, the spirits have requested that no ghost boxes be used during the investigations. 
Yeah, I was reading through all their rules and regulations about doing an investigation, which every place has them. And when I saw no ghost boxes, I was like, well, that kind of stinks, but maybe they don't want the guests to be disturbed. And then as I read on further, I'm like, at the request of the ghosts? (laughs) I was like, what? Yeah, and that's interesting because we've found it to be the best way for spirits to communicate with us. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it makes me go, do they find the static sound as irritating as we do? <laughs> well, what about Estes? Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. I I'm, I don't know if they can hear past. I mean, we don't know until we get right. there. I don't know if they can hear what's going through the headphones or. Right. While they're trying to communicate. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because I hate listening to it. But it is cool that the hotel readily welcomes people to investigate. For $500, your group can have the main house to yourselves. Or you can just book a room and do a little investigating while sharing the place with non-ghost hunters. The hotel even had the Today Show name it as one of the most haunted hotels in America. We all know they're the experts, but I just thought it was kind of (laughs) cool that it at least got some kind of attention there. Yeah, definitely. There are many possibilities for who could be haunting the inn, and the current owners believe that they have had a couple hundred spirits come through. What? I'm like, that's a lot passing through. One spirit has been nicknamed the ghost dog. The story here is that a young woman was killed by her estranged husband in 1883 in the hotel's parlor. Her dog went after the husband and mauled him to death on the front steps. Good boy. Yeah, good puppers. The poor dog then mourned himself to death, refusing to eat. Oh. Dog spirit is seen still waiting outside the parlor window for his girl. Lewis and Nancy Mason were the original Masons to own the hotel, and Lewis died in the hotel in 1867 from cholera. People claim that he is here in spirit. The couple's bedroom was what is now room five, and their bedroom set is in there. Can you imagine they have the original bedroom set from the Masons? That's amazing. Mary was the couple's second daughter, and she and her husband Frank Clark helped Nancy run the inn. That was, of course, after Lewis had died. They eventually handed the inn over to Mary's niece, Fanny, and moved to Washington, D.C., After Frank died there, his body was brought back to the hotel to be waked. Mary stayed on to help Fanny until her death at the hotel in 1911 on the third floor. Several people have seen both Mary and Frank. He's usually in a black suit, and the couple are sometimes heard arguing in rooms five and six. Fanny died at the hotel on May 24, 1951, and the circumstances are sad. She died sitting in a chair by the fireplace in the dining room and had been dead for two to three days before a fellow business person came to check on her. He saw her through the window and had to break it to get to her. Her apparition is seen wearing a gray skirt and white blouse and is most often in the dining room or parlor. A Confederate soldier named Marky who died at the hospital is here. Another soldier who was 34 years old named Harold died here after being seriously wounded. He is seen in boots and likes to lay on the beds and knock on the walls in Morse code. It is believed that the hotel may have also become a tuberculosis sanitarium for a while in the early 1900s, and a child spirit from that time is thought to be here. A doctor lived at the hotel in the 1940s and brought some of his patients there for care, and some of them may have died in the inn. One of these people was a grandmother of a woman who took a tour at the bed and breakfast. And two girls named Amanda and Anna have told investigators that they died from injuries under the care of the doctor at the inn. Another old man named Elmer argued often with the proprietor of the inn, Mrs. B.R., from 1956 to 1989, and he decided to off her one night. He climbed a tree behind the inn holding a shotgun and a rope. 
His plan was to shoot the woman, but instead, she came home and found him hanging from the tree by the rope. Karma. Indeed. Police reasoned that he was drunk and accidentally hanged himself, although no one in his pocket claimed that he had planned to shoot Mrs. B.R. and then hang himself. The tree creaked in an awful way for quite a while before it was finally cut down. Chuck and Joy not only embrace the paranormal going on at their B&B, but Joy documents the experiences in journals. We're going to share several of those entries. She started keeping the journals in 2003. The Hansons had three daughters, Cindy, Kristen, and Ginny, and they all experienced things. They had alarm clocks that would set themselves and go off. When the spirit was told to stop, it did. Beds are found messed up after they've been made. Floors are heard creaking and doors lock on their own. Joy sometimes leaves the front entrance unlocked to make it easier for guests to get in, especially during bad weather, and Joy would have to let the guests in because the door had locked. Apparitions have been seen in the mirrors, some that look like gray fogs. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Joy wrote in June of 2002... We had a customer who was checking in, and while he was filling out his registration form in the foyer, he looked up the stairs and said, Is my room up there or over in the annex building? I told him his room was in the annex building, room two. He said, Good, because you have a ghost up there, and I just can't deal with that tonight. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, Yeah, there's a ghost up there. I don't want to have to deal with that. La-di-da. He requested no breakfast, and he was gone the next morning when I got up. Another customer around the same time was checking in, and as she was filling out her registration form in the foyer, kept looking up the stairs. She said, did you know you have a ghost up there? I answered that we had been told that, but never saw anything ourselves. Was it male or female? She said, I don't get a sense of gender, just that it's happy here and does not want to leave. It likes it here. It's a friendly spirit. It will not harm you. It just likes it here. It may not have been someone who died here. It could have been someone who liked to come here when it was alive and has just come back. It does not want to leave. That's about all she could tell us. We now know that it was Curtis. So we have a name here for one of the spirits, Curtis. In 2003, Joy wrote, Several times I've encountered a cold spot in the hallway on the second floor. I get a momentary feeling of disorientation and then it's gone. When I go back to the place where the cold spot was, it is gone. Cindy has had similar experiences in the same place. It's always in the hallway between room six and the closet door on the second floor. A customer told us this story. One night when he was staying here, when the McDermott's owned the inn, there was a knock at his bedroom door late at night. He answered the door, but there was no one there. 
He closed the door, and there was a knock again. Once again, he opened the door, but there was no one there. The next morning at breakfast, the other overnight guests were all talking about how they'd all had similar experiences the night before with someone knocking on the door, but no one was there. About 1 a.m., I heard the door to our bedroom squeak open. I heard the floor squeak twice as if someone had entered our bedroom. It was dark, and I did not have my glasses on to be able to see anything. There was a pause, and the floor squeaked twice, going back out the door. Then the door closed with a loud boomp. This woke Chuck, and he sat straight up in bed. The next morning, he said it felt like a cat was sleeping on the foot of our bed. He could feel the vibrations like purring on his left foot. But when he looked, there was nothing there, and then the phone rang, and the vibrations quit. The Hansen's daughter, Kristen, had this experience in 2003. She was climbing the stairs to her room on the third floor, and she saw something white out of the corner of her eye standing in the doorway to the front bedroom. As she got closer to get a better look, it disappeared. The vision lasted only a moment, but the impression Kristen got was that it was an old woman in a long white dress or nightgown, about the same height as she is, five foot four. A guest shared in June of 2003, This morning after breakfast, the guest who had stayed in room five the night before called me aside and said, I don't mean to scare you or anything, but did you know you have a ghost here? It's amazing how many people tell him that. <laughs> did you know you have a ghost? I answered, well, yes, we have suspected it. Did you see something? She answered, sort of. Last night, I was sitting in the rocking chair in my room reading a magazine. My husband was in the shower. Suddenly, the room got really cold and I got goosebumps all over my arms and the hair stood up on my arms and the back of my neck. Then I saw an area of fog begin to form over by the twin bed. I just watched as the fog got thicker, and I could almost see the head of an old man. But then the fog just vanished. Then the room warmed up, and I thought to myself, that was interesting. And I went back to my magazine. <laughs> yeah, just a little interesting. <laughs> it was not scary or anything, just interesting. So I just wondered if you knew you had a ghost here. I love how everybody is just so nonchalant. I know. Like, <laughs> no big deal. But did you know there's there's a ghost and they're not even worried that they might think they're crazy. Joy wrote in August 2003. Yesterday, we had two people here who said they could see and sense several ghosts in the inn. Their names are Dan and Jessica. The ghosts or the people? <laughs> I'm assuming it was the people. <laughs> I know. They said there's a little boy about 10 or 12 years old who sits on the second floor landing and waves at people as they pass by. This might be George. Then he's sad when they don't wave back. Oh. That makes me sad. We need to go take him a bear. Yeah. They said there is a bloody body on the sidewalk in front of the inn. Ooh. Someone fell down the back staircase and broke her neck. Someone was killed in the dining room by the bay windows by four men at about midnight, and it's reenacted every night. Yikes. I wonder if they hear noises in the dining room that pertain to that. Something bad happened in room seven, and there's still a lot of bad energy in there. Now, they don't feel anything bad in their hotel, so I don't know if that's true or not. The doctor equipment in room five still holds lots of energy from its owner. And something bad happened in the hallway outside of room seven. And there's a lot of bad energy still there. There's a woman in the southern third floor room who likes to look through our stuff in there. We use that room as a storage room. And Cindy says she hears things moving around in there. They said there's a protective spirit in the dining room who likes to take care of the house. Fanny Mason Kurtz died in the dining room in 1951. So she was the one that, you know, died by the fireplace. Dan said he saw a woman brushing her hair while seated at the mirror in room five. She turned to look at him when he entered the room and then went back to her grooming. All in all, they said the ghosts know we are here. They are aware of us. They don't like it that we are here, but they are used to us and won't hurt us. The little boy is mischievous and likes to play pranks. 
Well, that's interesting. They don't like having them there, even though they've taken care of the house? I guess. We had two different guests mention things today. One was a man who took a tour of the inn and later commented that something violent happened in room seven. Well, there's a second time they've gotten that about room seven. He got some very strong feelings when he was in there. The same day, there was a lady eating lunch in the dining room. She kept looking over towards the fireplace. Then she commented to her friend that there was a spirit in the room. The friend said she should tell the owners. I happened to be clearing the table nearby and heard all this. The lady then looked at me and said, someone died in here. I said she was right. The lady said, it was a woman. She died here by the fireplace. She's still here in the room walking among the guests. She is happy. I told her about Fanny Kurtz. The lady said, she is still here. Joy has seen a spirit named Buck several times. She wrote this in 2005. Tonight I was struggling to get a large piece of wood in the wood stove in the keeping room. It was heavy and a little too big and already burning on the far end. Yikes. You better get that in the stove. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I was struggling to get it into the stove when I heard the floor squeak behind me. I turned my head just far enough to see a man wearing a long-sleeved cream-colored shirt standing outside the bedroom door watching me. Because I was not looking through my glasses lenses, the figure was fuzzy except for color. Thinking it was Chuck, I knew he was wearing his long john shirt, which is cream, and he was in the bedroom watching basketball. I went back to my wood thinking he would come and help me push. When he did not come help me, I looked again, and he was gone. Just then, the wood slipped into the stove, and I closed the door and went into the bedroom to ask Chuck why he did not help me. You can just imagine she goes in there ready to hit him upside <laughs> the head, and he's like, what did I do? What's wrong with you? You saw me struggling. <laughs> Chuck said he did not go into the keeping room. He did not know I needed help. He had been in the bedroom all along. I think it was Buck again. He wore a cream-colored long-sleeve shirt when I saw him before. And this was from April of 2005. Last night, we had a group here from Iowa State University having a staffing retreat. This morning, I was in the kitchen listening to the chatter in the dining room during breakfast. The people were discussing whether they had slept good or not. My ears pricked up on the lady who had been in room 7. She said every time she was about to doze off, she got a poke in her arm. She thought it was a muscle twitch, but it felt like a poking, and it went on all night long. So she did not get much sleep. When I went to clean room 7, it was obvious that the lady had slept on the right side nearest the window. This is the side that gets messed up. I wonder if someone was wanting to move her over. <laughs> I'm like, that's my side of the bed. Move it. <laughs> no kidding. Poking her. Just move. <laughs> In May of 2005, Christopher Moon from Denver, Colorado, who ran the online magazine Haunted Times Magazine at hauntedtimes.com, visited. And they wrote of this, Late Friday night, the 20th, Christopher and his father Dennis arrived just before midnight and they did a preliminary reading with an electrical detecting meter, digital cameras, temperature gauge, and a digital voice recorder. We did voice recordings in the dining room, Mary's room, and room 7, and got a lot of clicks and pops and beeping noises mostly. But we also got a small child's voice in room 7 which supposedly something bad happened in there, so you don't want to hear a small kid in there. Chuck asked, did you arrive by steamboat train or stagecoach? And a child's voice answered what sounded like, maybe. Christopher thought it sounded like a girl about three or four years old. After he went to bed, he said she visited his room as a shadow, but did not say anything. In Mary's room, in back of the scratching and popping sounds is the sound of a creaking rocking chair. We got to bed about 3 a.m., on Saturday, the 21st, our guests arrived around 1.30 p.m. and we started the class around 2 p.m. They offer ghost hunting classes and stuff there. Chris described the various tools and machines he uses in his investigations in some terms. We broke for dinner and then the fun began. After Chuck and I gave a short history lesson, the group went up to the Benton Sports Cemetery to look around and see what we could get. 
Mostly we got a lot of orbs and we did an EVP reading and got a definite answer to the question, are there any Masons here? Don't know if it was yes or no, but it was abrupt. We stopped at the Presbyterian Church building on the way back and Christopher got a shooting orb on a video camera that shot over the top of the building. That's interesting. Definitely. Was it a bat though or something? Yeah, I mean, who knows? I I kind of tend to Mm poo-poo orbs, but that's interesting to see something lit up like that shoot across. In room six, Christopher and another man said they felt their shirt hem being tugged on. We got a lot of orbs and some interesting voice recordings. Here are some questions and answers. And keep in mind, this is in 2005. So this is before Ghost Hunters, you know, was on TV and stuff. Do you know you're dead? Yes. Are you happy here? Happy. Do you have anything to tell the owners? Tell them we are happy not to leave now. A few days earlier, Chuck and I had been talking to Bill and Betty Printy about moving back to Dayton. Did you die here? No. Yes. And in two different voices. So somebody did and somebody didn't. We got to bed about 1 a.m. This morning, the 22nd, Debbie reported being touched on her arm during the night in room six. The people staying in room eight were gone before breakfast. Don't know why. (laughs) Quick skedaddle. Joy called those people and said, today I called the people from room eight who left early. She said their toilet kept flushing by itself and they heard footsteps walking around upstairs and it was too creepy. So they left around 3 a.m. They lived nearby, so they just went home to get some sleep. We checked the toilet and there was nothing wrong with it. This was from August 2005. We had a couple in room five last night who were hoping something would happen. Boy, did they get their wish. They had heard about the rocking chair sounds and were laying in bed listening, but the husband fell asleep without hearing anything. Soon after that, the wife, Tamara, heard a man or men talking. It was dim and she could not make out what they were saying. She thought it was a TV or maybe someone outside. She got up and looked out the window and did not see anyone. She went down to the dining room and found it dark and quiet. She went back upstairs and back to bed. The talking got louder and louder, and then she felt a cold spot forming on her left thigh and chest. She looked at her leg and saw goosebumps in that area. Then she felt a pressure on her thigh and her chest pressing into the bed. It pressed her hard, and she could not move and found it hard to breathe. Then the muttering voice got very loud and seemed to come right above her face. She said it was a man's voice, low and gravelly. She could not understand what he was saying, and she was trying very hard to figure out what he was trying to tell her. He got loud and insistent. It lasted for what she called a long minute, and then it was gone. She felt her chest, and it was ice cold. She woke her husband and asked him if he had heard any of it, and he had not. But he felt her thigh and chest and said they were both ice cold. This was from November 2005. This morning at breakfast, the lady who stayed in room five last night asked if any of the guests had a little girl. We said there were no children. She told us that last night, as she was climbing the stairs to go to her room, she saw a little girl, about three or four years old, run across the top of the stairway, like from room four area over to room six. She was wearing a long white nightgown and just ran across, and that was all. But there were no children guests in the inn that night. Did she see Robin? It's amazing how many different names they've got here. Why don't we jump forward to 2009? Chuck and Ginny and I have been sleeping up in room seven because our room is so cold. Our room office is in the old horse stable building and there's no heat in there. Ooh, I wouldn't want to stay in there either. We have a space heater going, but when it's in the minus degrees outside, like it's been lately, the space heater just can't keep it warm enough to sleep in there. Anyway, all the guest rooms have their own heaters and are nice and toasty warm, so we've been sleeping upstairs. A few little interesting things have happened, like... 
One night I heard Jenny shifting around in her bed like she does when she's being annoyed. Then I heard her say, stop it, that's my blanket. Then she went back to sleep. I asked her about it the next morning and she said someone kept pulling off her blanket. She did not know who it was. One night Jenny and I had gone to bed, but Chuck had stayed up to watch a football game. About 11 p.m. I heard the bedroom door open, close, and footsteps shuffled into the room, but nobody got into the bed. I looked, expecting Chuck, but no one was there. Lisa didn't get in the bed with her. Right. Chuck finally came to bed about midnight, and I asked him if he had looked in on us earlier, and he said he hadn't. Well, somebody did. The next morning, there was a lot of knocking going on in the room. There was a knock on our headboard, on the wall across from my side of the bed, and on the wall next to Chuck's head. It sounded like one loud rap with knuckles on wood. Chuck also said he heard some noise on the third floor, like something heavy being slid across the floor up there. Last Saturday, I was talking to Cindy on the phone, and she made a comment about poopy baby diapers, and I heard a woman say, there's nothing I can do about that. It was really clear, but Cindy did not hear it, so it was only on my end. So she heard the ghost through the phone line. I mean, like how they're talking through the radio. It's like they're talking through the phone. Right. (laughs) There's nothing I can do about that. I would be saying there's nothing I want to do about that. Poopy diaper? No. I don't know if that was paranormal, but it was definitely not normal. We've had voices in the phone before, but not that clear. And this is 2009, so you don't have the operator listening in and making comments, of course. In January of 2009, last night there was a team of four ladies who were part of a paranormal investigation team from Illinois. They had some interesting personal experiences. They heard knocking on the walls and sounds of someone walking around in the hallway when they were all in room six. They used their pendulum to ask questions, and it was reacting well. They took pictures throughout the night, but the ones they took during and right after the pendulum sessions were full of orbs, and they were very impressed by this. Something that I noticed was that about 8 p.m., the ladies and I were talking in room 6, along with Doug, another investigator from near Chicago, and we were sitting near the hallway. At one point, I heard the sound of someone coming up the stairs, but nobody came up. Another time, I heard footsteps in the hallway down toward room 7, and I looked and saw nothing, but the sounds were there. Then in the area where Doug and I were sitting, the temperature dropped suddenly and Doug broke out in goosebumps on his right arm, but not on his left, his right arm being the one near me. I got so cold, I started shivering. This lasted for about a minute, then it warmed up. Almost seems to me like something sat on her, since it was close enough for him to get goosebumps from it. Or directly in between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how close they were to each other. And also to only get goosebumps on one part of your body. I mean, I know you do that because you're I'm just like, weird. hello. <laughs> but when I get goosebumps, it's like I've got goosebumps on both my arms, both my legs. I wonder who it was that was standing there listening to us talk. Doug told me a story of something that happened the last time he was here with a friend. They were staying in room five with Doug in the big bed and his friend in one of the twin beds in the adjoining room. About 1.15 a.m., the friend started yelling at Doug for shaking his bed, thinking Doug was playing a trick on him. But Doug answered that he was over in the other room. When the friend realized that it was not Doug, he jumped out of the twin bed and ran over to the big bed with Doug. He would not go back to sleep alone. And I know, grown men do not like to share beds with each other, so he must (laughs) have been scared. He said the mattress of the twin bed was actually picked up at the foot and dropped several times. Somebody wanted him to wake up. Maybe it was one of those adjustable beds like my dad just got. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Somebody pushed the button and went, and lifted up at the foot. As long as he thought it was Doug, he was just annoyed. But when he found out it was not Doug, it really scared him. He spent the rest of the night on top of the covers of the big bed and would not go back to the twin bed. I've never heard of anything so violent before. I'm guessing Harold really wanted to get this guy's attention. Why would he be on t- Well, I guess because two men in the bed. 
I was going to say, why is he on top of the covers? I'd be underneath if I was I know, scared of something. If you're scared, I mean, I'm all the way under, including my head at that point. I don't care if it's two men or not. You better snuggle up, Buttercup. <laughs> <laughs> this was from March 2009. Last Thursday night, there was a husband and wife with two teenage girls staying in room five. The girls asked to try my pendulum, so I let them borrow it for the evening. They tried to talk to anybody who wanted to do it, and the only one who answered was Mary. The girls were happy to talk to Mary, and they said they had a nice conversation. During the night, the two girls were in the twin beds, and they heard footsteps walking around and around near them. One girl saw a glowing orb next to her bed, low to the ground. At first, she thought it was her cell phone screen, but then realized that her phone was not there. About the same time, the lady in the big bed woke up and saw the shadow of a man standing next to the bed. He was wearing a baseball-type hat with a short brim. It lasted a few seconds, and then he faded away. Then she saw the shadow of a woman also standing next to the bed. She could see the shadow was wearing a long dress or skirt. The shadow turned and walked through the wall. The lady said she heard the walking around sounds coming from the girl's side of the room, but thought it was the girl's. The husband had slept through the whole thing. Of course. (laughs) But later admitted that he had smelled a perfume that he had never smelled before. He chalked it up to something new his wife was wearing, but she said she was not wearing any perfume. This is from February 2010. There was a ghost hunting group here last night from Minnesota. They had some pretty good personal experiences. Early in the evening, one man saw a moving shadow that could not be accounted for. The woman heard the scratching, tapping sounds that we've heard in room one, except she heard it in the parlor. The K2 meter reacted whenever the group talked to Harold. They heard little running footsteps in the hallway like those of a child. Betting that's Robin, the little three or four year old. The woman had an experience in her room during the night that disturbed her enough to go to sleep in another room. She did not say at the time what it was that disturbed her and she left early. So the leader's going to talk to her tomorrow to see what happened. They're going to review their video and audio recordings and let us know if they get anything interesting. And then also this morning, Ginny and I were in the kitchen. She was making her own breakfast and I was making breakfast for the guests. She looked at the wall calendar and noted that tomorrow's Valentine's Day. So she said, happy Valentine's Day. And a man's voice said, thank you. She looked at me and I looked at her and I asked her, who said that? She shrugged and answered that it must have been dad. I went and looked in the dining room and there was no one there. Chuck, I knew, was in the bathroom shaving and it was not his voice anyway. It was a deeper tone. It must have been Curtis again. I think he likes to hang out in the kitchen. <laughs> That's great. And he I clearly thought she was wishing it to him. <laughs> Indeed. This is from March 2010. This past weekend, we had a ghost hunting group here from the Des Moines area. Right away, they started having some interesting experiences. While looking at the doctor's equipment in room five, the bathroom door swung closed and latched. Nobody was near it, and there were no windows open, no breeze, no explanation. Later, the doctor's equipment started swaying and swinging on their hooks. The group tried to duplicate it with walking around and near it, but could not duplicate it. During the night, one member saw a girl in a white nightgown standing on the landing and took a picture. They heard music and people talking, but could not figure out where it was coming from. The twin bed in room five by the wall was shaken during the night. It really surprised the young lady sleeping in it. I bet it did. Yes, indeed. I don't know how many earthquakes they get in that area. I don't know. They heard footsteps in the hallway and up and down the staircase. And they heard footsteps up on the third floor when nobody was up there. In room six, the people saw moving shadows and heard footsteps in the room and hallway. About 2 a.m., there was a loud bang, but nobody could explain where the sound came from. They got lots of orbs in the pictures and had wild temperature swings during the EVP sessions. 
While sitting in the parlor, they heard footsteps and a sound of chairs moving in the dining room, but nobody was in there. All in all, it was a very exciting and interesting night for them. And in April 2010, the three ladies who stayed in room 7 this past weekend had a busy time. The two sharing the big bed said that every time they closed their eyes, the bed would shake like somebody was bumping against it. They were watching a movie on their laptop and one saw a little girl run across the room behind the computer screen. The lady in the twin bed said she felt a cat jump onto the bed and curl up. The other lady took a picture and they got what looks like cat eye shaped orbs. They went around the inn taking pictures of the different rooms and got a very bright orb in room six with the face of a bald man in it. They also got two orbs outside Ginny's room that have the face of a girl and a cat. They have been here several times and always get some interesting interaction. I think the spirits like their energy. This is from June of 2010. We went on a little vacation last week, and when we returned, we found quite a surprise. We'd cleaned all the rooms before we left, knowing we had guests arriving as soon as we got back. I'd done a check of all the rooms to make sure they were ready before we left. So when we got back, several beds were messed up. Those darn ghosts, they sure don't help out much, do they? Room 5's twin beds had cat footprints in them, and the pillow had a head divot in it. Room 6's big bed looked like somebody had sat in it, rear end marks. And room 7's twin bed was really messed up. The quilt was pulled down and the pillow was in the middle of the bed. Somebody had pulled a Goldilocks on us and tried out the beds. The next morning, my parents, who've been staying in room 1, said they heard footsteps up in room 6 all night long. Somebody was up there walking back and forth and back and forth. They thought somebody had checked in already, but nobody was up in that room during the night. And then in August 2010, there was quite a bit of activity this weekend. The couple in room 7 said they felt somebody sit on the foot of the bed during the night. When they came down for breakfast, they had made the bed, and when they went back upstairs after breakfast, the bed looked like somebody had been laying on it. Curtis is up to his tricks in there. The ladies in room 5 used the pendulum to talk to Harold, Curtis, Fanny, Amanda, and Mary. During an EVP session, they all heard two pop sounds coming from the opposite corner of the room. The twin bed by the wall was knocked on underneath the mattress. The chandelier swung for about 20 minutes, then stopped. The ladies could not recreate it and keep it swinging for that long. They locked their door, and in the morning, they found it unlocked. The curtains were swaying in and out, and they could not recreate that either. I think Harold was having a good time with them. From Halloween 2010, wow, what a busy night we had last night. We did one of our ghost story dinners and had 21 people attending. During our program about the things that happen around here, we heard a lot of thumping upstairs on the second floor. It's kind of like they're like, yep, that's us. It was going on in rooms four and seven and in the hallway. We all heard it. We made sure everybody was in the dining room and nobody was upstairs. Later, I asked Curtis about it on my pendulum and he said it was the children playing. During the night, the people in room six heard a woman singing up on the third floor above their room. That must have been Mary since her room was up there. The people in rooms one and five both heard children playing and giggling in the foyer and on the staircase. The people in room 8 heard shuffling footsteps outside their door about 2 a.m., and they had a K2 meter, and they asked yes and no questions and found they had Morris and Harold in their room. Then a lady told the spirits to touch the K2 and make the Christmas lights come on if the answer is yes. She asked several questions to narrow it down to Morris and Harold. During our evening program, the lady got really cold on one side, and her leg felt like someone was sitting on her. She asked if that was Morris sitting on her lap, and the K2 indicated yes. In a different room, I was talking to Curtis on the pendulum, and he also said, yes, Morris likes the lady. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, my. And TKS 617 wrote in 2019, 
Usually, I leave reputedly haunted places disappointed without having had an experience. I definitely did not leave the Mason House Inn disappointed on that count. Some very strange things happened, and I felt as if mischievous spirits were at play. Yeah, that was written on a TripAdvisor review or a Google review, something like that. So I wanted to show not only do we have Joy keeping track of all this stuff up through 2010. I don't know if she just got tired of doing it, but here we are still in 2019 stuff happening there. There are literally dozens of experiences here, which makes it hard to not believe that something unexplained is going on. Just how many spirits are here is a mystery. Is Mason House Inn haunted? That is for you to decide. It's about three hours away from my sister, so I don't know that we'll ever get over to that area. I know our niece is in college in Des Moines, so we'll have to see. It's a possibility. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historygoesbump.com. If you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. Ed wrote us. He said, good afternoon. I hope you two are doing well. Last week I had meetings in Georgia and I purposely scheduled my last appointment near Savannah. My meeting was only 40 minutes away at the most. And when I arrived at my hotel, I was not feeling well and could never gather the energy to go to Savannah. The next day I did my meeting and wanted to drive all the way back to Indianapolis because I was feeling worse. I was disappointed that I was that close to Savannah and did not make it. I stopped for gas just south of Louisville and I decided to look for an episode of HGB from the past that was long and could get me through the last leg. I randomly found your episode on the Marshall House Hotel, and I had no idea where it was located. When I heard you two say you were in Savannah, Georgia at the time, I was like, what are the odds? (laughs) The synchronicity Synchronicity. strikes again. (laughs) He said I smiled and it took my mind off the miserable drive I was having. And he was indeed sick with something, so we're glad that he is back on the mend from that. Yeah. And then I have this other email. This is actually back from January. Sometimes I get so much stuff, I, I miss some things or forget about stuff. But this was from Savannah. I hope all is well and y'all had a great holiday and a happy new year. I hope this email doesn't make me sound weird or anything. As y'all know, I love Magnolia Cemetery and I love learning about the history and learning about who calls it home. I'm sure y'all know that Charleston has its history with voodoo and hoodoo and all that. And I know not everyone believes in that stuff, which is fine with me. Everyone's allowed to believe in whatever. And I've been gifted with being able to see the unliving. I haven't been able to talk to them, but I definitely see them and at times I can hear them. But anyways, last night I was doing a tour at the cemetery and this was my experience with a boo hag. So when we all walked into the cemetery and got up to the lagoon, I felt off. Something just felt different and really weird. Normally the cemetery feels calm and I can sometimes see shadows walking by and it's normally just something passing through seeing who's there. So I didn't think anything of it and we got to the pyramid and I heard ruffling in the oak tree next to the monument. So I didn't think anything. I just thought it was a bird. So we keep going down and we get to the Wilkes Mausoleum. And I heard the trees moving and it didn't sound like a bird. It sounded like it was moving very uneasily and it sounded like something was moving with a lot of trouble. So I look up to my right and up in the trees and something caught my eye, but it was gone before I could actually get a look at it. So then we get to White Mausoleum and I kid you not, with everything that is holy about a newborn baby, there in the oak tree was a boo hag. It was sitting up in the tree staring at one of the guests who was probably in her mid-twenties, pretty blonde hair with very pretty skin. I probably stood there for 45 seconds frozen just staring at it. And once I realized what it was, I went to go grab my phone and it slowly looked at me and then it was just gone. And the tree branch shook after it took two steps and just disappeared. And I could see the trees over by the pyramid moving, but it wasn't windy. And I kept getting strong smells of pluff mud and super strong smells of rotten eggs on the back section where Wilkes and White monuments are at. 
And the rest of the night it was quiet and nothing else happened and the uneasy feeling went away and everything felt normal. But I've never seen anything like it in my life. It literally looked like someone took an alligator and skinned it. And it was slim. It probably wasn't any taller than me. And I'm five foot one. Darker pigment almost looked Cuban. Black hair. It had a long, thick walking stick. Long, thin, lanky fingers with long white nails. Soul-crushing, solid black eyes. It kind of had a long oval face, but not many features. A small rounded nose. It made my stomach drop and I seriously think my heart stopped for three seconds. I promise I'm not crazy and it was the most scared and creeped out I've ever been at that cemetery. I went back today after I got off of work to look at the trees to see if they looked different and everything looked normal and the cemetery felt calm and peaceful. It was so creepy. I just really wanted to share this with y'all and again I hope I don't sound weird but it's definitely nothing I've ever seen and always heard stories about this stuff. And we have heard stories about boo hags down in that area, especially low country and everything. That's one of their myths they have there. I don't know. Maybe it was a big bird and she just thought she saw something like that. But around here, (laughs) we leave it to you guys to decide. I believe in the possibility. And she was fairly descriptive. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, it's not like she's like, well, I just saw this shadowy thing up there and it had these beady eyes because then you could be like, well, maybe it was a crane up there or a big owl or something. But alligator looking skin. Sounded creepy to me. Yeah, I wouldn't want to see it. Thanks for sharing, Savannah. I want to thank you all for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Amy Hyam. We're going to be placing you under an obelisk headstone. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. You really do help bring this show to everyone. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com. Tugboat struck it in 1851, but only caused slight damage. And all the way down in front of the caboose cabage. Cabage? Is it a caboose cabage? You want to stay in our caboose cabage? I want a kebab. You going to go out and barbecue tonight? (laughs) I've been told I have a nice caboose. I answered, well, yes, we have, well, yes, we have suspected. (laughs) Well, yes, we have. (laughs) Sorry, I think I messed you up. Is this thing on? (laughs) Late Friday night, the 20th, Christopher and his father, Dennis, arrived just before midnight and they did a preliminary. A few days earlier, Chuck and I had been talking to Bill and Petty. Betty or Petty? Is she a Petty Betty? Well, their last name is Pretty, so I I got it kind of screwed up. (laughs)
spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.